I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1979. The album, the Chicago language tape, and other aberrations of El Fiendo in glorious mono. The artist, Yuri Rozovsky, and my guest is Jared Jeffries, uh, live from not here. Thanks, thanks for doing the show, finally. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time in the making. I know. So uh, I first found out about you and your work, which, full disclosure, I'm sort of semi-releasing in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you can you can sort of buy your way your album through my website, Celery Sound Records. Um, yeah, in theory, it's for sale. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. You So you sent it to me by mail uh, a while ago uh, and just saying, hey, maybe, maybe you'll enjoy this album. Uh, that album, by the way, is a gift you never asked for from friends you never had by Jared and Peyton Brown. Uh, so, and it's it's a great album, and it's fun, and it's insane. And uh, I I did, by the way, forward it to the gentleman at Firesign Theater. I don't know if you heard back from them or not, but I did send it to them. Um, but yeah, I I, I do love your comedy, and I've been yeah. I was able to, to through your you. show too. I uh, have a uh, I was able to talk to uh, Taylor on the phone, Taylor Jessen on the the phone for quite some time and that was oh good just going through all that old comedy nerd stuff i love it uh that's it, he is the man to talk to and i mean he's he's a guy with a much deeper comedy reservoir than i will in terms of certain types of comedy anyway uh yeah that's well yeah i mean i'm a huge comedy nerd and i, I it's really rare to meet somebody who's gonna nerd out on it harder than me and he knows every i mean just it, it the depth of knowledge there and the depth of a commitment to finding out is uh, incredible with him. Yeah, it's uh, I I love that so much about just hanging out with him. Every time it's that way. It's I I think he gets that I'm most of the time sitting back and not responding because I literally have nothing to contribute, but I do want to keep listening. Uh, yeah. But there's I almost never have anything to contribute. Um, so there there you go, Taylor. There's your shout out this week. Not that you even expected or asked for it, but you deserve it. Um, but yeah, so you sent me your album a long time ago, and I loved it. I still love it, by the way, just full disclosure. And um, uh, and you you have a clear fire sign influence uh, among other people. But I'm curious, what made you pick this insane thing that I cannot explain? Uh, pick the which aspect is? <laughs> Do you want to know what uh, why we picked it? It's 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 I don't know the the well the Chicago language okay. tape is 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 kind of um I don't know what it is I mean I know what it is yeah. but I don't know what it is uh, yeah so um so I spent a lot of time so I live in New York right now I live in Brooklyn uh, at the moment but I spent many years uh, seven or eight years in Chicago and that's where my whole comedy resume basically still lies um so i love chicago very much and i picked up this record uh, having never heard any i have no information about it really outside of uh what's on the lp jacket um and a you know a little bit of wikipedia basically um got it at um oh what do you oh man the best uh chain of record stores in chicago i all of a sudden it's uh, escaping me but anyways you know, I'm just a big uh, comedy nerd. I've always loved um, non-stand-up comedy records because um, most stand-up records, that's all they are. It's just a record of that performance. 
And a lot of times there's film footage of those performances anyways. So um, just these weird little things that people will put out occasionally that have more conceptual things to them. I've always been into, so I'm always scouring the um, the comedy sections of different record stores, and a lot of times you just end up with a lot of party records, a lot of Wild Man Steve and sure. stuff like that. The same, you know, Mom's Mabel. You're coming up with a lot of the same names over and over and over again, the same Cheech and Chong records. And so when you find something that you haven't seen, uh, you know, it's pretty exciting. I'm sure you know that. But um, so I got this. I'm like, wow, something local. And check it out. I actually really like it a lot. It's a really interesting artifact um, of the time and kind of back when radio DJs were a big deal in the 70s mm-hmm. and uh, uh, kind of a, a little snapshot of some cool things that were going on in Chicago at the time. And also, just from Chicago history, everything is so dominated in that time period, at least, by the Second City. This is really the only thing you hear about um, out of Chicago. Sure. and Yeah, for decades... And there's other things going on, and it's really cool to get a a little taste of that. Yeah, that's true. And I I guess it should be no surprise that there are... There are elements of this album that remind me of a lot of the other stuff of the period. I mean, it's unavoidable that a lot of comedy, a lot of comedy albums, especially if they're sketch, are going to have let's play with the form of of audio drama. And I mean, especially since this, again, comes from a DJ, comes from people on radio. That's shit that they grew up on. It's it's unavoidable. it's, yeah, oh, totally. And specifically, these are folks that were working in audio drama at the time. So, you know, with the tiny amount of information I'm able to get out there about Yuri Rozovsky and the Chicago uh, Radio Theater, I mean, that's what they did was they, they did dramatizations of, uh, and that's really what he had kind of committed himself to. Eventually, I think he moved to L.A. and um, did some, some work out there as well, um, founded a theater. But you know, that was their thing, and so they're on a classical uh, music station um, and doing those kinds of works, and I imagine that it's mostly very serious stuff, and so you want to let your hair down and, and do some goofy stuff every now and then. It's amazing that they were able to do that stuff on the air, do some goofy stuff, but it was the 70s, and there was freeform radio. There was a lot of experimentation and kind of open formats, a lot of freedom that uh personalities would have to do what they want so uh we get this fun little record out of it i wish more people were able to hear it so i'm glad that i'm able to to kind of bring it to folks attention because i figured i wanted to do it on your show just because um i don't think anybody else is going to bring this one out no I, i don't think so either i had never heard of it it has not come up since you originally mentioned it it is i mean it has literally no label it was not released on a label um, um no as far as i can tell yeah i i'm guessing he paid for it himself is that is my guess it's usually what we have to count on um yeah yeah <laughs> i mean uh it's the series yeah uh nrt 7901 so mm-hmm. yeah maybe national radio theater it's 1979 their first release yep. mm-hmm. and uh so it's it starts out with well the the title title track which is the chicago language tape which is, it's interesting, so I've, I've looked that up a lot and found references to it quite a bit. Apparently it is considered a classic in Chicago, even though a lot of the stereotypes that it that it plays with are not uh, accurate anymore. I'm curious. Yeah, some of them have changed a bit, yeah. It's one of those things where I'm listening to it, I'm like, okay, I, I mean, I get the bit. I'm not sure the point. I read one. I read one review of it that said, "Oh well, this is they're, they're making fun of those stereotypes." I'm like, are they? I'm not sure. So I'm curious what you how you peg that track. 
Oh, uh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a very local piece, and I love that. Yes. Um, I see. Back in the day, there used to be a lot more independent. It's weird. Okay, so the thing is, I feel like media now, um, everything's really dominated by stuff that comes out of L.A. and New York, and people can make stuff anywhere. And when they do, they're making it for a, a global audience. People want to be a big hit on YouTube or whatever. Sure. People watch them everywhere. But there used to be. I feel like you could be a big deal in Detroit and have a record and sell a lot of records in Detroit, or you could be in you know wherever Minneapolis and be a big deal in Minneapolis, and nobody's heard of you anywhere else, but you're a big big deal in Minneapolis. And uh, so I love that this little this bit seems to be sort of a a hit among Chicagoans that is yeah. very much just for Chicagoans. Now, as for the stereotyping in it, so the the defense of anybody who's doing any sort of ethnic or otherwise stereotype is always going to be well I'm parroting the idea of uh-huh. there being a stereotype and that's you know sometimes that is the case or you could make that I mean that's not always I mean look it's <laughs> we're having fun with some uh, with some ethnic voices or whatever at points I mean mm-hmm. it, it was just something that was acceptable I'll say this much that. It, there it was certainly not always the case that there are certain ethnicities that just trying to do the accent is considered offensive. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you will hear on this. So uh, there's a point at which a guy's doing sort of a Chinese accent, and you can hear a little bit of the audience is uncomfortable. Uh huh. Uh huh. But they love the gay voice that he does. Uh, yes, um, they do. Boy, oh boy, they, they go love crazy it. for that one. And it's and you know what it is though what they're laughing at is not you're making fun of the way gay people talk, what they're they're laughing at the recognition that it is meant to be a gay voice and the idea that we don't really talk about it but that's the gay area. Uh huh. You know what I mean? You like know, it's that, just it. It's the idea that somebody's saying it. Considered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we should explain what this is though. Um, yes. And I hope that maybe you'll play a clip of it or something. But it's a wonderful piece. What I love about this piece is that it's just the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of someone who, as someone who's doing comedy, just that's all you need. Uh, literally, what this is is it's um, meant to be like a language tape, and we've all heard a million bits based on language tapes. But they'll just they'll say the name of uh, it's places. So this this side of the tape is place names or street names. So he's just saying the names of different intersections in Chicago twice, as if it's in a foreign language. But each time he's saying it with a different sort of accent or a different way of speaking that says something about that area. And it's that's all he's saying is just the names of streets in Chicago. There's no mm. other thing to it. And uh, it's it's clever. There's uh, some of it. Yeah, is OK. There's uh, and some of them I can't even honestly tell you exactly what they <laughs> what they are because I don't right. really get the reference. Just the like the the one of them's just the dumb guy voice, and I guess we're just we're just you know uh-huh. making fun of people who live in that neighborhood. But yeah, there's there's Polish areas. There's you know Lincoln Square is still kind of uh, has some German stuff up there. There's there's that with you know stereotypical like Nazi sort of voice, mm-hmm. and um and yeah, Cermak Road. Yeah, it was in Chinatown. Um, Clark and Diversity, still kind of in Boys Town, the, sort of the gay area. I would move that. You'd move that maybe to Halstead now or something. But um, 
But there's clever stuff. The audience loves his Doppler effect he does. Yes. Uh, for O'Hare. And Miggs Field, which doesn't exist anymore due to the either tyrantism or heroism of uh, Mayor Daly, depending on who you ask. Um, a Such a great little button on it. Uh-huh. That little plop into the water. <laughs> if, you're, if you're familiar with uh, Miggs Field, not at all. I only lived in Chicago okay. for two years, so my level. I didn't of even realize you lived in Chicago. That's great. Yeah, for college. Okay. Yeah. Well, Miggs Field was a tiny little airfield um, that I guess mainly rich, very rich people used. It was right on the lakefront, right in the middle of downtown. There we are. Holy shit! So it was extremely convenient and cool to like fly into the middle of downtown Chicago on the lake. Of but course. Also, the whole lakefront really is meant to be just for public uh, access um, mm-hmm. uh, as part of the Burnham plan. So it was eventually uh, destroyed by, uh, in the middle of the night, the mayor sent bulldozers to just cut giant X's into the runway um, to destroy it so it was uh, unfixable. Wow. Uh, so that they would have to give it back to the city. It's... Uh, pretty weird story i don't know that much about it but um but anyways it's right right on the lake so hence the little sound effect at the end it's a little cute little button um but that's actually apparently i think on all the microsoft flight simulators that was always the default uh airport you would take off from was me that's funny okay that you know what that now now it sounds familiar now 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 that's making a little bit of sense yeah, we're going to do mainly uh, Chicago uh, history and uh, fun facts today. <laughs> How Now, we're, and I apologize, are you originally from Chicago or did you just live there for an no, extended I'm period? From, yeah, I'm from Indiana originally. So um, I lived, uh, I grew up in southern Indiana and went to college in Indiana. And then after that, uh, moved to Chicago to basically perform at the IO Theater and ended up doing other stuff too until about two and a half years ago. Interesting. Okay, so I did not. Now I'm. I'm wondering. This would take forever, but I'm. I'm. I'm guessing you and I probably know a lot of people. We have probably have a few mutual friends anyway. Since the IO is the only place I would ever go see comedy when I lived in Chicago for those. We probably there are probably people that you are uh, acquaintances with that I will know enough that they'll go like, oh yeah, I've seen that guy before. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But won't remember my name. Yeah. <laughs> That's the case. I'm one of those people who certainly, because um, you were there before me, it sounds like, mm-hmm. uh, that the people who are around who were kind of a, a big deal when I was coming up, I just didn't even want to talk to them. I was just like, you know what? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not worthy. You just, uh, I've got no business uh, dealing with, <laughs> you know, I'll just stay over here and and talk to people that uh, are on my level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Well, uh, yeah, it becomes that the weird, embarrassing thing where after like eight years, you're like, you've never had a conversation with this person, or like, no, we've just been in the same room ten thousand times. That's so funny. I don't know how I would be if I was having to. Yeah, that's the weird thing. Is like, I I can act like I've got all these guts to invite people on my podcast when, uh, you know, it's it's real easy when you're not in a room with them watching them perform and you're supposed to have a, take a respectful distance. I don't need to do that. For this podcast, I don't need to take any respectful distance. I just send out an email, hope it works out. I think the only person who that I can remember who was there who ended up becoming famous uh, that I saw and met and had like a dinner with once. So it's not like we had a relationship was John Lutz. Uh, And Mm. so I definitely saw him perform and he was a fucking genius. So I get why he moved on to doing what he did. But um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely one of the best in the world. Yeah, I've I've actually 
yeah, he was gone by the time I got there, but I'd seen him perform many mm-hmm. times, several times. But I, I do uh, wanted to, I did want to um, commend you for um, finally working up the courage to have me uh, on the show, and you know, <laughs> thanks for not being too afraid. Yeah, no, it took a lot. I mean, you, you've got to understand, I've I've put out feelers to to Weird Al, to to Cheech and Chong, to the yeah. Smothers Brothers, to to your Steve Martins, your Eddie Murphys. And then the whole time, I mean, the challenge is, how do I finally ask Jared to do my podcast? Yeah, well, that's the thing, is that there's a reason why I'm not on more podcasts. It's just because the general cowardice of the population. (laughs) We just, we don't raise strong people anymore. There's no good role model, so... Is uh so and in listening to the rest of this, I mean, again, I there might be some deep cuts on this that I'm missing, but in general, it's real easy to at least get the idea. Okay, cool, they're parroting radio pro- programming, specifically uh, either public radio or classic music radio, and then playing with the form of uh, of of uh, dra- radio dramas and children's yeah. serials from the '40s and shit. Uh, and so it's it's pretty easy to peg what they're doing because we've heard it a million other times. But I'm I'm curious in listening to it the stuff that that you hear that's different because I mean I there are a few things that I notice that are clearly different uh, than other like fire signs etc. But I'm curious what what stands out to you other than obviously that first really memorable to Chicago people track. What 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 stands out to you about the rest of it? Well, okay, yeah. So to me, it's very different from those things. Like I'm a huge fire sign fan, which. It's interesting, like, we were working on what became our record um, for quite some time before I finally got around to, to listening to the Fire Sign Theater. And it's really? It's, oh, yeah, yeah. And that's why it became a record, though. It was going to be a stage show. And then, so, really, if you listen to our record, the second half of it is a lot more makes sense. It, it's The second half was definitely written as a record, whereas the first half of it, a lot of it is adapted from things that would have been part of the stage show. So it Interesting. Makes, yeah, the second side, I think, works a lot better because of that. But, and, you know, I can get more into that later, but let's talk about this, this record here. Is, so the thing about this is that... Um, okay, so the first one, the Chicago Language... I'm just going through the, the tracks here. The Chicago Language tape is the only thing on the record that's done live, and I kind of love that, you know, again, that we can just have a mixture of things on here. This feels like sort of... Um, this would have been the way a lot of DJs would put something out. It might be sort of a greatest hits. We've done a lot of little sketches on the radio. Here's our favorite ones that people ask about. We'll put on a record or whatever. So uh, we have two of these great moments in literature, which I think are a lot of fun. But yeah, are similar to some other things you might hear out there, where we just it's in both cases um, lots of little jokes in there, but it's all a big setup for a little payoff. The third one, the Jewish horror movie, is such... It's just a straight-up street joke. Yes. Um, with a long, like, uh, shaggy dog setup mm-hmm. for for what it actually is. Which you... I, I don't like this track very much, but I, I do, in general, like those kind of things where it's like, what was this... There was, what are we doing here? Oh, the whole thing was a setup for this dumb little payoff. I kind of love the uh-huh. audacity of, like, you bastards. Like, you had me... Uh, <laughs> You had me sit here for that. Like, I I love it. Um, safe Place. So here we go. So A Safe Place, and this is the one with the different writing credits on it here, mm-hmm. um, by Carol Adjuran. So the one thing written by a woman, as far as I'm, I know here. Um, this one is very different because it feels to me like an old-fashioned Second City sketch. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that, I hadn't pegged that, but yeah, that makes sense. It's very, it's not jokey. 
at right. all. It's a right. very slice of life um, thing. And what I love about it is the very, um, it's a, it's a very good performance. Yeah. Um, the acting in it is this really terrific radio acting that sounds like the stuff you would hear in the 50s. Um, we're just not that it sounds ultra realistic. It's just really pro actors. And again, with that, there used to be high level radio actors in different cities around America. And there isn't that sort of thing now, or even, you know, television right. actors, they all move to the coast at a certain point. And I just love this sort of, as a comedy fan, this sort of document of a certain kind of scene and a certain kind of performance style. Um, done from that era and just to kind of have a little uh, snapshot of that um yeah I, and too, i i will admit yeah. thoroughly when, by li when listening to it i i th i think my first thought was okay is this played as written or is there i think i, I get too cynical sometimes with this stuff and where i'm like okay but are they making fun of this style of acting are they doing this but i i like your take on it better where it's like no legitimately this is the bit we wanted to put on we're not making fun of uh necessarily think anything in particular this is this is 100 percent it's uh i don't know it doesn't have the same satire feel as some of the other stuff i guess is yeah and it's, i think it, it's very gentle mm. it's i would say it's not even particularly funny it's more just like gently agreeable it's um, yes right yeah it's sort of just pleasant more than it is funny someone might smile it's something that like if it were in a a show or whatever and your mom saw it and she'd be like oh that was cute <laughs> you know it's like that kind of thing and I like that that can exist. Everything uh, now is, it's got to have some big twist where it's like, if you had that scene, you'd have to have the end. But it, it turns out like, oh, they're actually psycho killers and they're pretending, you know, they're um, they're sort of treating it like it's all mundane, but really there's some awful, horrible thing going on under it or whatever. Right, or, right. Or right now, sketch comedy is so dominated by these ideas that I don't know where I know where they claim to have gotten them, but I don't know where they actually got them from. Like the the UCB for who are you know this this idea of everything has game game game, and it, it, you can say you know there's certainly some truth to that, but I think um, sometimes when people emphasize that too much and they become so narrowly focused on that, yeah, it creates one specific kind of scene over and over again. And like yeah. I say, this reminds me of an old-fashioned Second City scene. Um, not necessarily the funniest thing in the world, but what I, I like about that is those old-fashioned scenes had, it was more of a, they were telling, more concerned with telling a story than they were about uh, doing a punchy comedy routine. Mm -hmm. So it rather than calling it a sketch, I think it you know makes more sense as a, a little scene. It's a little uh, tiny play. Um and I don't know, I just, I like that. It's a kind of lost style, so I'm interested in it. But yeah, I'm never going to put that on my top ten sketches of all time or something. Um, right. Yeah, on side two then, you've got Notch Kalatsky, Interplanetary Adventure. Now this is like a, like a fire sign light uh, in a way. Right. Um, and it's similar to their records in that the whole of side two is one story and uh different from the other side so it's got a lot of jokey little punny jokes like fire sign might do um particularly saying that you have a serial shape like ursula andrus like yes. the only serial shape like ursula andrus that sounds like a fire sign it joke. does yes 
Um, but it's gentler. Uh, well, not it, it has a satire in there too. I mean, there's a lot of there's a great line in there about like, oh, I hope all the good Christian uh, white boys all go out and buy, oh, send in their box tops or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're and they're telling you to be careful of all the ethnics in your neighborhood and stuff. There's some real, you know, satire there of. It's a, it's extremely boomery, um, this yes, sort of boomer is. thing of satirizing um, the hidden fascism and all these uh, wonderful like children's things that we love, but mm-hmm. have these you know, uh, you know these sort of suppressive uh, undertones to them. Notch Kalatsky, yeah. So it's I, I'm a big fan of, I, I guess my aesthetic. So if you listen to the record that Peyton and I made. Um, which is available. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> They're out there. Uh, look it up. Um, we're we realize as we're making it that our aesthetic is so 20th century. Everything we think is funny is so 20th century. Uh, we just we don't really do want to do a lot of stuff with uh, computers. And if it is, it's like such an old-fashioned sort of idea of what a computer is. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so. Uh, I really am into all this uh, baby boomer sort of uh, humor that Fire Sign made. But even this, you know, growing up with The Simpsons, um, all the things that they'd make fun of on there are like old, uh, old newsreels, and um, they would always <laughs> right. make fun of, you know, uh, educational films from the fifties and sixties and stuff, and. Mm-hmm. And I grew up thinking like, yeah, I want to make fun of that stuff too, but I have no yep. real connection to those things other than yeah. seeing parodies of those things. So um, for me, it's like n- seeing a parody of something is nostalgic to me in the same way that them, they were parodying <laughs> something they were nostalgic for. Oh my um, God, you're just, you're just yeah, so hurting my brain. I love the, the Notch Kalaski stuff. And yeah, it is just such a baby boomer thing on there of sort of... Um, loving these adventure things from when you were a kid but at the same time satirizing the sort of latent uh oppressive or fascist elements to them so those lines in there um where he says something like and i I wrote it down but i know i didn't even write it down right um says uh jimmy's yeah jimmy the sidekick says uh, something along the lines of, I hope all the good Christian white teens send in all their uh, rectangular teen uh, box tops. Um, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just uh, love that sort of thing. This one's filled with all kinds of jokes, and this is one where they definitely are, when they do something ethnic in here, they are making fun of the idea, I think legitimately, of the uh, of ethnic stereotyping. Because the, the bad guy whose name is, help me out here, do you remember? I don't. Uh, oh my, but it, I mean, it was something offensive. His subtitle was The Gook, though. It was something, Yes, something. right, right, yeah. right. And they say it several times, and obviously they're, they are just calling out Ming the Merciless mm-hmm. uh, from the old Flash Gordon cartoons, which was just a yellow scare. I mean, he basically, his character description was just Chinese man. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's essentially what Ming the Merciless was, right? I mean, right. it's just... So we're, we're else, in space. He's got to be got scary. All these he's fantastic Chinese. Things happening. Yeah. <laughs> but like we can fly through outer space, but oh no, that dastardly guy with a mustache. <laughs> it's just the idea that he's like different. That was that was all they needed, really. Um, they could. I mean, there was no alien thing to him at all, other than he was basically vaguely Asian. So yeah. <laughs> um. So they are definitely parroting that here. I think you could definitely make that case. 
for sure. Um, but there's lots of wonderful stuff in there too. I love the Chicago voice, uh, the Captain Clout tells all the good boys and girls to send in their tings and you know get them a good job inside the city council or whatever it mm-hmm. is right you know you i got i have to admit like a minute ago you literally just verbalized my internal monologue for the last 15 years which is like oh, yeah. am i writing for myself or am i writing based off of somebody else's life experience that i've absorbed oh, now yeah. i've i've have to live with the fact that it's probably the latter uh, because I have the same the same fucking shit as my sense of humor. I mean, I wrote a whole book about the concept of computers as it kind of was at another time, but right. had had to take place now. And I'm and I'm now trying to write a companion album with it, and realizing everything is based at least loosely on some of those things that you're talking about right now as well. Like it's it's based on my perception of. Again, through a very 20th century lens, and uh, I don't know that there are a lot of people going through this uh, crisis like uh, like my. I'm not saying you're having a crisis, but I'm definitely having a crisis, and you just verbalized it. Oh God, it's a crisis now. Um, no, uh-huh, the yeah, thing yep. is, um, so I, I think there are a lot of people who do that. I don't know necessarily if there are a lot if everybody is realizing that they're doing it, but yes. I know personally that I don't know what I would think is funny if I hadn't grown up just watching the simpsons over and over and over again that has such a distinct effect in a way that not everything's traceable what affects you but that one for sure is very uh very easy to tell how it affects what i perceive as funny and there's so often that I struggle with while I'm writing something and I think it's funny and then I go, you know what though, isn't this really just a reworked version of this other joke? Um, And it's hard not to do that, especially if you're a big fan or if you're analytical about comedy. So I, you know, again, I know very few people who are as nerdy about it as I am. And so I I really hate it when somebody does, uh, performs a piece or something and somebody's like, you know, it's actually very similar to this other thing you should know about because usually they're not. They're not really the same thing at right. all. They just remind you of it, or it's, uh, or it's sort of talking about the same subject or something. Right. But it's not the same joke or whatever. But I, it's really hard not to see that constantly, especially, you know, if you watch Monty Python or uh, The Simpsons and certain things where they just sort of hit every every kind of joke so hard it's hard to see anything that you do and not go am i having an original thought here or is my brain just recapitulating something that i that i some form of joke that i thought was funny when i was 12 or whatever yeah yeah and i also know there there are a lot of people who there's a lot of Speaking of reference humor, uh, which the first track is, there's a lot of reference humor nowadays that I and I nowadays. Oh fuck! I'm gonna go kill myself. Hold on. I just said nowadays. I'm a grandpa. This yeah. Is, we'll this we'll is pause while you kill yourself. <laughs> Do you want me to stop the recording? Uh, yeah. No, that's fine. We want to hear it from both sides. We're just picking we'll up a nice little there, stereo effect going on. Uh, but there's a lot of reference humor that's like I reference a thing that is beyond my my experience, and then if they're they're challenged on it, and and I'm speaking mostly, I think of improv podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts that have improv interviews, you know, that are characters like Comedy Bang Bang, or whatever. And I'm not calling out yeah. any of them specifically or any performers or necessarily picking on these people for doing this. But it's like I made a reference to a thing, and then when they're called out, I was like, I don't really know what that thing is. I just know this is a funny thing to say in this moment. 
and it becomes a weird like that was a solid reference you just did but you don't know what it means so what am i supposed to think here yeah i sort of get that one thing that drives me nuts in comedy is um i do hate it when were you getting an echo effect by the way uh no believe it or not oh okay so i just switched to to headphones because i thought that was the case well one thing that bothers me um a lot is when i'll see uh or here if people are doing audio thing um yeah, uh, folks that just make the same one reference that they know about a topic, it's all they know, um, especially when they think they're being edgy or like satirical and they don't even know what it is that they, exactly that they're insulting. But, you know, there's certain groups of people, uh, you know, if it's, oh, it's a Mormon thing or whatever. Okay, well, I'll do something about you know, um, polygamy or right. whatever. Or I'll see... A lot of it, I've seen so many people do something about like giving smallpox blankets to Native uh-huh. Americans, and it's like first of all, like why are you bringing up this insanely, um, you know, awful big ball of wax into this show if that's not what the show's going to be about? You're just doing it as like a little, ooh, it's kind of edgy that I just dropped this little reference to this thing but if you were to ask people what they're actually referencing they're not sure the specifics mm-hmm. they just know that that's sort of a thing i remember is that that happened somewhere mm-hmm. um so i don't know i don't know if that's what you're referring I, it's, to. it's very similar <laughs> just basically different. what we're establishing is that you and i are both old men trapped in slightly younger men's bodies yeah. that's super, kind of what's happening super old um <laughs> I also noticed on the, by the way, you did thank you for sending me high quality versions of the, the, the cover and the back cover because online they're not very high quality. Um, so what you sent me is I get to see on the back that they actually, there's an interview with Dick Orkin, who's the creator of Chicken Man. Dick Orkin. That's right. Yeah, another classic Chicago comedy DJ guy, yeah. So clearly, the, you know, there's a bit of a pedigree. Oh, I'm wondering why he's interviewed on the back other than to say, hey, we know him. <laughs> I'm trying to... I didn't. I didn't read through the entire interview because I didn't have the opportunity. But yeah, you know what though? I love the interview that's that's on here. Do you have? It I in do. Front yeah. Of you right now. Yeah. Um, can we just act out part of yeah. this right now? I think this is because br- what he's done here is just uh, made a mock interview of the questions, the kind of questions that he gets asked all the time, and I think that's great because when it comes to doing audio comedy, this came out. 40 years ago and all his questions were about how it's a totally dead format and here we are decades later now and that's still the same questions you get asked for half a century people just talking about i mean even they reference stan freeberg here if you listen to stan freeberg's radio show which is one of the last radio shows um of that sort of format that was on the air was on the 50s at the time even people were like radio's dead what's he doing in radio um, so it's really wild to me. And this is a cute little, uh, well-written little piece of jokes here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Ask me one of the questions. Okay. <clears throat> Mr. Orkin, a final question. Who are your favorite radio performance performers? I, I need to learn to speak. That's okay. And I love here. This is the were assumption. All my beloved radio heroes are better <laughs> in jail. Uh, it's really well-written. Uh, I had a lot of admiration for Marconi. He's dead, isn't he? Yes. I'm sorry. Whatever happened to Stan Freeberg? Gee, I think I saw him, uh, the last time I saw him was at somebody's funeral. Marconi's? What was yes. he doing at the time? The lid was closed, I couldn't I tell. Meant... Well, Stan was crying and I couldn't really talk to him. See, so uh-huh, I love that uh-huh. right there. The lid was closed <laughs> and I couldn't tell. It's a it's a great little uh, 
routine here, but it's all about, yes, TV must be the next step, mm -hmm. or why are you still in a radio, mm -hmm. you know? Um, it's, it's, it's really terrific stuff. Um, I love that because this thing needs a little bit of context as to what the heck <laughs> this is that you hold in your hands. It's got a really terrific weirdo cover that I love, but uh, you got to sell somebody the idea of buying a radio uh, comedy album. Uh, I'm really happy with the... Um, the jacket copy that we have on our uh -huh. record, um, partially because every day I'm convinced that I no longer know how to write <laughs> jokes. And so having written that after the album was done was just, it's really nice to go, okay, we can still do this, especially having kind of fried our brains writing the kind of stuff that's right. on there. Um, so I just, I love that that's on there. I love the photo of Yuri on here. I'm just really glad this thing exists more than anything else. It's understandable. I, th this is a period of time that I'm uh, not even just in terms of comedy. I'm in general obsessed with DJs of the 60s and 70s, knowing so little about them even. Uh, my late father-in-law was a DJ. My uncle-in-law, if that's a thing, is still a DJ and was a DJ in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, 90s also. Um, so I don't know. There's <clears throat> something about this period of time in general, but then also to see all the comedy that came out. I mean, I interviewed a guy named Jamie Alcroft the other day who I guess his episode will come out before this one, uh, who had, that's what his career was. He had this weird career of doing all these other different things, just plops into radio because he hated the sound of their ads. They made him a DJ, and then eventually that's uh, that's how he starts his comedy career. Uh, it's weird to me oh, that yeah. radio was, was this launching pad for people, or at least so, oh, for yeah. some people, their only place they got to do comedy. Yeah, radio was showbiz back mm -hmm. then and it's still i mean i guess it might still be at like k-rock or something i don't know how Maybe. it is down there i know that like all these famous people were you know involved uh down there or at least were decades ago and now are on TV right. and stuff but i mean back then the local dj was a big deal they were powerful guys they could they could actually choose what they wanted to play and so getting your record in their hands and maybe getting some uh, some you know some money to grease that hand as well uh, could uh, launch you as an act too. So these these guys they had kind of cult followings. We could follow them from station to station. You know, even other Chicago guys. Um, if you remember the disco demolition, disco sucks, uh -huh. famous Comiskey Park incident. With um, Steve Dahl, a guy I know up here actually. Yeah, I just recently did a, a story on uh, did a, a play based on that. You know, and. Mm. It's, it, it was fascinating to learn more about Steve Dahl, this sort of just loudmouth, uh, obnoxious guy who um, could move his own little personal army basically to, uh, you know, start a riot at Comiskey Park. It's wild stuff. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I, I you don't, you can speak to people of a, um, and, and get a, a rough idea, but until you hear that, oh yeah, as you say, he just mobilized a bunch of people to actually, if not change history, definitely make their mark. Um, I will say that's that is an enjoyable episode of Drunk History as well, where they tell his story. Uh, oh, it's, I have not seen it's that. quite good. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating that it. I, I wonder too if I people so often I think too often compare. I've talked to people in the past about well, you know, do you miss comedy albums? Which I don't want to be too heavy on the nostalgia, but it's a little unavoidable with this show. Uh, do you miss comedy albums? Like, well, podcasts are the new comedy albums. I, as you can understand, mm -hmm. thoroughly disagree. <laughs> I think a lot of yeah. podcasts, like my own other shows, are a bunch of fuck arounds, which is fine. I love a good fuck around. Yeah. But it, there's not. And to be fair, it is great effort. that people are listening to this right yeah. now on vinyl. It's great that you decided to press this episode. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's it's, it's your episode. I mean, again, it was impossible to get you. Now yeah. that I've got you, I need to commit this to some kind of. You got 
committed to mm-hmm. vinyl. So, so in that sense, I guess technically this particular episode of this podcast is a comedy album. But yeah, in general, I agree <laughs> with you that there. Yeah, so the majority of entertainment, and so that's one thing that technology-wise, nobody would have predicted. Um, if 20 years ago you told people that the wave of the future was going to be really hot in the 2010s was going to be long-form amateur talk radio, mm-hmm. like absolutely no one would believe you because in every other respect, everything gets slicker and slicker. We're at the point now where, I mean, YouTube became a big thing. And everyone's like, wow, everybody can upload whatever they want. And now YouTube personalities are all, everything's shot with like red cameras mm-hmm. and they have these little After Effects animated intros and stuff and things are, you know, very, very slick. And yet podcasting remains just two guys sitting around going like, oh, what'd you do this week? <laughs> and and people listen to it. People love to listen to it. People, you know, they feel like they are, uh, they know those people after a certain amount of time. And the record is just such, by its nature of it's, it's so expensive to press one, uh, they tend to be so much more uh, produced and thought out and... You know, for instance, when uh, Peyton and I made our record, I'm going to keep referencing in the hopes that somebody out there looks the damn thing up. Um, When we made our record, it's like uh, the purpose of it, people kept saying like, well, why don't you put it out as a digital file? And for us, it's like, well, that would be a digital file and we're making a record. And it's hard. I don't know why it's hard for people to to get what I'm saying here, but (laughs) the purpose of the thing wasn't to make... Uh, it wasn't to make sounds, and then the delivery method of the sounds was a record. The purpose of the thing was to make a record, which is a piece of plastic. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a disc. You know, that's the thing we wanted to make, and that is the project. It's like, you know, why don't you make your book into a, a car? <laughs> like, I just, it's just two different. You know what I mean? It's like make your dog a cat. I don't understand. And so, I, you could. You know, we could take the audio that's on it and make it into a digital file, and some people yeah, have. Sure. But like, but that's not what the thing is. The project was the record, and specifically, the things that we're referencing on it are very specific to it being a record. You know, we're referencing that it's a record. The whole nature of the thing is circular and spirally, and it's all you know. Everything about it has to do with it being a record. So. Uh, you know, a great deal of thought goes into uh, that particular thing. And so people, when you think of like a podcast, yeah, there's no reason why you couldn't put that amount of thought into sure. a podcast. But And so, yeah, you could make a podcast that was like a record. But the problem is, is that the very nature of it, that people are used to what a podcast is and the disposable nature of that file make it such that nobody's going to treat it the way or listen to it the way or feel the way that they would if it were on uh, a vinyl. It's just a completely different experience of how you put it on and listen to it. You're going to be, you know, doing other things. The thing is that people now don't really hardly even listen to music. I think we have music in our lives more than ever before because it's so convenient to play it anywhere, but people don't listen to it the same way that they used to. You would, People used to invite people over to your house and be like, oh, I got this new record. You should come over and hear it. Like, that seems so weird to me now, but that would happen uh, back in the day um, because it was a scary yeah. thing. So you go, oh, cool, yeah, let's listen to that record. And when people would put a record on, they'd put it on, and they'd sit there and listen to it. Maybe they'd sometimes do other stuff too, but 
but there's to a different degree whereas now music is just on while we do something else no one you know it's i'm also playing words with friends or what i don't even know so that's me referencing something <laughs> i don't know what it is but i'm all you know i'm playing uh you know angry dominoes or whatever it is <laughs> angry dominoes and we're whatever it is and 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 you know when washing the dishes and stuff like that and so i try to explain people when we made our record like we specifically made something knowing okay this is something that you're going to by purchasing it i'm a person who feels guilty with things that they own anything i own i feel like ugh, i'm gonna carry this around till i die now right so for us for you to purchase something from us that's like okay now you own this physical thing that you're going to move from apartment to, or house to house for the rest of your mm-hmm. life until you die. And then some kid's going to have to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> um, in order to, for us to feel okay making that, we wanted to make something that, first of all, had to be in that format. And secondly, would, re, would uh, be worthy of listening to multiple times and hopefully have things that are revealed in it and actually some things that you're never going to find that are in there because they're like in weird you'd have to like use special equipment to find mm-hmm. but in any case they wanted to, you never you never get to the bottom of the thing um so that you could justify uh doing all that and if you put something out as a digital file these podcasts i love podcasts but you just it's inherently going to have a different kind of content because you're never going to be able to listen to it the same way so, having repeated myself like ten times, <laughs> I guess I should stop talking now. Okay, good. Uh, no, I you, all you made me think of was a. I'm now realizing why I like your album so much, and I think it's because anytime you make an album that's about it being an album or about making the album, you have sucked me in immediately. Uh, which is why I love. I would put I would put yours up there with. I love the Great White North. I think that's a brilliant album, the Bob and Doug McKenzie album. Uh, Lily Tomlin's uh, Modern Scream is uh, it's the most underrated sketch slash stand-up album on the planet because it's got both and it's a solid mix and it's about the making of the album. Um, it's because I think, I don't know, it's it's playing with the absurdity also of this, this piece of material in front of you that is relatively inconvenient unless, you know, you're, you're a patient person uh, to play and listen to. And I don't know. There's... Nobody's patient, though. I have had people, mm-hmm. even after I give that big speech I just gave, yeah. people are, I'm like, did you listen to it? And they're like, uh, sort of. I was doing the dishes, uh-huh. and eventually I couldn't follow it anymore. And I, I, I told you, you won't be able to follow it unless you pay attention. And it's, there's a lot of very quick-moving stuff going on. There's like, a lot just, going yeah, on. There's just no way. I know that I have to. I know that I have to listen to your album again. And I'm going next time though. It's going to be with. It's Wait, be with were you one the of the years. dishes people? No, no. But I was. I was right. literally sitting there listening to it and enjoying it so much that I. The stuff that I missed is because I was either just. I was either trying to figure it out. Like there's plenty that went over my head. Just like Fire Sign style. There's plenty that went over my head. Oh yeah, I don't know what I, I mean. That's one thing that I, I'm hoping with your continuing series on the Fire Sign, which I hope everyone's listening to. I hope that you can just ask what the hell's going on in some of those places so I could figure it out for myself. I really want you to, I mean, I was, I don't know if I got all the way through the last one you did um, with Proctor, but, uh, but are you, anything you want Uh to, uh, the first version of that with the radio jail and all the Uh Japanese television stuff? Yeah, just, (laughs) just an explanation of what the hell that is would be wonderful because, I love them so much, but there's huge sections where I'm. I have it's completely incoherent to me, and I'm. I'm not a smart man. I need someone to walk me through it. Yeah, and it's. I mean, at least you're willing to uh, admit that you're. You know, 
that stuff goes above your head. That's what I try to do with my own. You know. Yeah, but it can't all be my no, fault. No, too, it can't. Is the thing like there's a certain point where you know, and this happens with a lot of great artists where you're going like, wow, they're a genius, they're a genius, they're a genius, and I just don't get it because they're a genius. And then a certain point where you're like. But also drugs. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know? 100, 100% right? I mean, that's what's happened. I mean, when yeah, we listened okay. to Bozos, which I think was the last one we did, I, that's the first one that started to make sense to me. I think it's because it's the first one that started to make sense, and maybe it was less drugs. Maybe it was this. Maybe it was that. You know, maybe I'm a little dumb, which is fine. Fully willing to admit that. But, yeah, I mean, that's when I st- finally start, and I started to question the whole process because I'm like, oh, I'm starting to understand these now. Am I understanding fire sign better? That's so funny because I've usually I've heard of that the opposite way a lot, where people are like, "Bozos is where it started to just get too weird." Where I that's couldn't inter- uh, maybe, maybe figure it's out the computer shit. Maybe it's because I'm that kind of a nerd that it was just like that's what made me pay better attention. So, don't know. There's parts of that, so we're way off topic, <laughs> but I don't care. There's parts of that record that I think are the most brilliant st- stuff like ever. The um, all the the history of man sort of section mm-hmm. um stuff, but. There's other parts where I'm not sure that it's even supposed to be funny. There's nothing like laugh out loud funny going on for minutes at a time, but it's just kind of weird, interesting stuff. But there's even on Dwarf, there's stuff where I get the general idea of what's going on, but it doesn't necessarily make any sense to me. And the fact that there's parts where it's like, oh, this doesn't quite add up. Like, I'm not sure where we are at this particular moment and if it's still this thing. or you know, There's little moments of confusion that add up so much to how brilliant something can be. I remember the first time I ever saw uh, a, an improv show, like a professional improv show, like a Herald, a long-form show. I, like most audience members, was very confused at certain points. Um, mm-hmm. But I kind of liked it. I liked that I was confused. It made it seem like sort of mystical or magical um, to me that I didn't fully understand everything. Um and uh, I think some great art should have an element of me not being sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if I watched a David Lynch thing and somebody explains to you what every <laughs> single thing and it means, it's not right. fun at all. There's no mysticism. To that. I, that that also makes me think very much of, and, and there maybe they're a little bit on the simpler lever, level, but the, the Coen brothers, if they're ever asked to do commentary, they don't do it. But if you've ever seen, yeah. have you ever seen Blood Simple and then put the commentary on? Uh, uh, no. Do it because the commentary is not real. The gentleman is not real. Everything he's saying is fake. Oh right, he's the guy that they had do the intro. Um, it's a character that they had do the intro for the D- for the DVD. I think release, so. Right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's I've brilliant. Heard about that. And it's it's that in, is that's basically sketch comedy. I mean, it's one long sketch, but that's one hundred. I mean, they oh, literally okay. they, at one point like there's a there's a shot where Francis McDormand is in a car, and he's just saying, "Well, I know that they shot the film. They, here they had the car suspended upside down and had the camera upside down as well because they needed to do this just for just complete bullshit because they're very much you don't need to know what's going on. Just enjoy it." Which is hard. Not a lot of artists oh, yeah. will do that, though. That's some people like, you know, please, please keep examining my work. Make me feel important. But uh, I respect when people do the opposite. Well, it's, you know, I, really, it makes it feel less important once people know everything. For sure. In it. You know, the example I like to think of is that movie Donnie uh-huh. Darko. I remember when that came out and it didn't make any mm-hmm. fucking sense. And people were like, well, this is the work of a true <laughs> genius. And then the guy explains it. And it's like, oh, you're just bad at telling a story. This is, <laughs> this was just incoherent because you messed up. And, uh, you know, he did like a director's cut 
where it made a lot more sense and it's not nearly as as good and so all the stuff that people were reading into all these things was just oh it was just edited poorly or whatever um so do, yeah don't do that if you've got an amount of mystery going on to your to your art then do not reveal it uh, the opposite though to me is like i'm a huge huge Stuart lee fan are you a fan of Stuart lee yeah yeah i stand up yeah uh, yeah, and he to me is is very similar to Penn and Teller in that they'll sort of walk you through how the trick works, mm-hmm. and at the same time still be amazing. Right, and that's extremely difficult to do, and you have to really twist your head around to be able to do that. You have to be extremely smart. But for anybody else, if there's an element of mystery to what you're doing, just let let the mystery be there for sure. Except for Phil Proctor, <laughs> because. The, those guys, there's not many of them left, and we need to just find out what the hell was going on with that record. Uh, I, I, uh, not insane or I anything. I don't know that it. my show is doing that at all, uh, especially since I, as many people have noted, have a little bit of trouble reining Phil in, but I've also spoken to his friends, and it's impossible to rein Phil in. The man's a dynamo. He just... It's amazing. He remembers yes. everything, and he's, you know, you're like, oh, wow, finally we're going to get the story of the Fireside mm-hmm. Theater, and it's like, oh, I want to know about the second because to me my favorite thing is still the the record that i and the most influential to me too is uh, how can you be two places at once you're not anywhere at all um huge to me and that's why because of that record we decided to make a record and um i'm like oh wow i I gotta find out more about that so you could fast forward like two hours and he's still talking about (laughs) the radio you know before the radio free Uh oz or whatever so it's like you're, you know, you're getting the full you story are. here, so I appreciate that you keep that he keeps dropping in and, and telling. You know, you think story. you're a good interviewer, and then you get somebody who's got that many stories, and you're like, oh, uh, you're so involved, and you're like, oh, fuck, we lost, we lost the train like um, an hour ago. Uh, but yeah. you know, at least it's a fun ride. That's 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 the thing yeah. about interviewing Proctor. I do hope we'll have uh, David on at some point as well. I, I do hope that happens. Yeah, he seems like uh, he's much. Um... He's a. Uh, he seems like the harder get. Uh-huh. Like he's not. He's not really running around in the public eye much. Yeah. Uh, he's out there. He yeah. likes to write his books and. Yeah. Very. That's very much. The is case. that the thing? Is he? Is he a bit? Uh, have you? Have you talked? I to have. Him at all? Yes. Super nice guy. I, I met him at oh, the great. when they that's did great. the fiftieth anniversary show here in L.A., which was tinier than I would have liked. It was a. It was a lot of fun, and um, it was at the Steve Allen Theater before they tore the Steve Allen Theater down. It was right before they did, they did that. And uh, yeah, David's a, just a sweet guy. He wants to do the show, so some one day it will happen. He just That's doesn't great. live here, and it's almost impossible to get him here. And I don't, I don't know if Skype's a possibility. We'll have to do a little thing. You, you should try that. They seem like very technologically friendly guys. Would... They were sort of um, anytime a new format comes out, seems like they were behind. You oh, know, yeah. they were like we did picture discs, and it's like, well, no, no one has any way to play back a lot of the, the things first, that they did. But they did I, the I first did, CDIs, yeah, but, which is like, again, if you ask Taylor, Taylor can go on and on and on about it as well, uh, maybe a little more succinctly. Uh, but, yeah, what's so funny is I was helping Taylor um, <clears throat> digitize uh, all of Peter Bergman's VHS tapes uh, as, before they were oh, being wow. sent off to the Library of Congress because the yeah. Library of Congress just bought their archive. And in looking yeah. in, they did so many, like, tech demo videos. Peter and uh, and, um, and and Proctor both together did a bunch of videos together that were, like, for Apple or for this or for that, like, very early on. And, uh, yeah, they were 100% ahead of the curve. Uh, and, obviously, Steve Jobs was a big Firesign fan, so that didn't hurt things either. 
Um, so it's pretty fascinating. And I'll actually, I should bring this up now just in case I forget because I haven't mentioned it to anybody. And this will also keep me on a deadline. But I did, I, I videotape, I got a lot of video of Taylor doing the archiving and then video of them taking the archive off to the Library of Congress. So uh, I'm putting that together like a little mini documentary that people will be able to watch soon. So maybe. Oh, that'll be amazing because uh, we've, you know, and I know that Taylor had mentioned that someone was actually kind of making the definitive fire sign documentary yes, right yes, now. I think something like that. He is. Which is great because there really is a huge lack of that. There is, uh, there's so amazing and there's <clears throat> no definitive sort of thing that, that you can um, get a grasp on what they do because that's the hardest thing. I think they have the biggest barrier to entry of any group. Yeah. I should have just picked a fire sign record <laughs> so we could talk about that on the air. But they, they had the biggest uh, barrier to entry. That's, I never, I had heard of them by the time I was in college, but I didn't listen to them for years and years because I remember occasionally I like looked them up and would just hear a clip and it's just incoherent mm-hmm. uh, unless you get your bearings. And it's like, where do you begin with them and if you talk to their you know try to talk to a fan and ask them their fans are their their brains are all <laughs> scrambled from listening to the fire sign for so many years and probably the sure. drugs too but they're you know i i did i saw them at the library of congress actually i saw osman and proctor um do their performance oh, nice. there uh i guess a year ago and uh, yeah i went down to washington to see this because i'm like i don't know if i'm gonna get this chance for uh, sure and so uh and it was wonderful and they had obviously new stuff in there too it was really cool they did it but i was the only person there under 50 something and people were sort of like whoa what are you doing here man you know and, uh, it, and i tried talking to them about this you know and i was like i i talked to one of the you know the audience is full of again they're they're middle-aged and older men they're all men there's i talked to one of the four women that was there <laughs> and i'm like wow it's so cool to meet uh, a woman that listens to Fire Sign, um, it just seems like there's such a very specific kind of audience for this. And she was like, oh, I'm just here <laughs> for my husband, you know? And it's not to say they wouldn't sure. like, I just think there's, it's just so hard to introduce somebody to the group. And I think a documentary would really, um, that puts them in the right place in history. It finally puts them in the place, <laughs> would, would let, uh, but yeah, and do I, I don't know that it's been the name has been released to the person who's doing it, so I won't do it here. But I will say the one other yeah. documentary of his I've seen is one of my favorite documentaries of all time. So I it's it's going to be good. Right. I will say uh, he's used this podcast for research, so you know bonus there. Um, and yeah, right. Excellent. So that's kind of it, it, it's going to be good. It, it promises to be a, a bunch of fun. And I actually did speak to somebody at the Library of Congress recently who's like, yeah, I saw all those boxes come in and I don't know what we're doing with them. So they have them. So it's official. It was not somebody did not scam the Firesign Theater out of boxes and boxes of tapes. The L- Library of Congress actually has it. So that's nice to hear. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put it past some super fan to do that. They're right. very diligent mm. people. The thing that I love about them is that... Um, so they're fans, and again, even trying to find their fan stuff is all very esoteric mm-hmm. and, and weird and hard to read because they all people will speak in sort of half them speaking, half them just referencing yes. things from Fire Sign. These weird quotes, like the way I describe when people say like, "What's the Fire Sign like?" I'm like, "Well, this is where your dad got uh-huh. it from," you know, all those weird things he says. But like, uh, you know, you'll see. Uh, oh yeah, you'll see how. Uh, how obsessive people are. It's like they're looking for the Zodiac killer, <laughs> these folks that are like, you know, searching these references. And, 
I know I Taylor said on one of your previous podcasts that somebody found the book that they must have been referencing when they were doing a <laughs> yeah, certain bit or whatever. I remember looking at stuff where they're like, well, Mudhead is not just just a reference to Jughead or to Andy Hardy's uh, friends. It's an amalgamation of those things, but also Mudhead references the Indian god, uh, this uh, non, uh, this uh, sorry, a uh, Hopi Indian god of this or that. And it's one of those things where when people talk about Lost or some <laughs> television show and they have some crazy fan theory and. I usually look at that stuff and I and they're like, well, the doorknob was colored this color, which in ancient Hindu texts would, you know, <laughs> and it's like all these disparate things. And, uh, and I'm going, yeah, that's all cool, except for when in human history has anybody ever made anything <laughs> that was on that level of, you know, of puzzles uh, <laughs> hidden within it. And then... With Fire Sign, it's the one thing where I go, when somebody explains all this Hopi Indian stuff, I'm like, yeah, that's likely. Uh-huh. That was probably in the mix. Because yeah. you got these four or five crazy guys that are just um, reading voraciously. They're um, riffing constantly on everything, and anything they ever could think of is in the mix there. And then also, you know, again, mushrooms or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know... It is fair game that yeah, some it's a reference to some Indian thing that I was researching, and then also a movie from 1936 that was on TV late at night. Yeah, it's very lovely. yeah. That's the insane thing, and I, that's why I have uh, it's it, it is a situation where when I either talk to I talk to anybody about it is I it's very much a layback and let them talk at you and not you know I'm not meaning that in an offensive way it's like I'm not going to understand all this so I'm willing to let you tell me everything you know I just don't expect mm-hmm. any back and forth because that's not going to happen I don't get it and that's fine I'm fine <laughs> with letting that happen I, what's funny though is like I I now I'm caught up with with Proctor I'm caught up on the Firesign albums I had heard beforehand I am now listening to these fresh and uh yeah I've, i mean i've only heard like recently like what uh well whatever the next one is i haven't heard that's all i know and i i have them all i have them all <laughs> thanks to either buying them myself or you know being gifted them by very kind people uh but yeah and at this point yeah. i figure well if we're gonna do the history i might as well listen to them fresh as though they just came out and let's see what the hell happens oh yeah well i guess the topic is now fire sample i'll just go ahead and say this that <laughs> they um there is this weird idea out there too that i that when i first started listening to them that they made first three or four albums you know and then after bozos or whatever they just sort of dropped off mm-hmm. um that's not the really the case at all they had they again they had that weird album that nobody seems to like uh not insane mm-hmm. um but then after that they had several great albums and they continued to they never really stopped even when they broke up they never stopped they've all got these solo albums but the solo albums are all the same mm-hmm. kind of thing and they involve the same people and even through you know and listening to like boom dot bust and i think that's great like there's stuff up through the 2000s that's still i think fantastic and uh and you know giant rat of sumatra uh-huh. in the 70s and uh even uh, uh everything you know is wrong it's like amazing the first side of that actually you know what there's there's one thing in that where i have no idea what the hell it is but the rest of it is amazing um and yeah so i i don't really know where that idea uh, comes from but they were putting out terrific stuff and it's just it's such a weird discography not just from the the, the album standpoint but they would do those specials they did some so many 
odd and, odds and ends and video project stuff for like show their Cinemax or Showtime or mm-hmm. something and these weird little movies that who knows who you know how they got financed or where they were ever shown that you can find and then all those weird cut up movies they did I mean they have such a huge output of stuff and so little things that I think most casual people know as canon um, that there's just you if you're into them there seems to be a never-ending treasure trove of obscurities to be found i love that when we talk about people's influences on the show it's normally oh i discovered this when i was 14 and i haven't been able to stop thinking about it because that is typical but you discovered yeah. fire signs so late but you know their shit up and down and i, I love that that doesn't often happen that, that you have an influence later in life you know yeah I mean, I can't remember anything past 18. Really. There's so many movies now. I remember when I was a little kid, um, and you'd ask your parents about something, and they'd be like, oh, I've seen that movie, and you'd ask them about something, and they'd be like, oh, I don't really remember that specific part. And you'd go, how do you not remember every TV show and movie you've ever seen? That's crazy. And now anything I've seen after I got out of high school, I have no idea what it was. I just whole, I, there's like books that I know I've read, and I couldn't tell you one thing mm-hmm. about them. Um, but yeah, some of that stuff it it it, uh, it sticks with me, and my um, my brain is falling apart. <laughs> but uh, you know, it'll trigger something, and uh, it'll stick some sort of memory. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I, I could still I could talk all day in only Simpsons quotes from like the first ten years of or whatever, and that stuff does stick in there. But uh, yeah, Fire Sign is one of those things that I got really into, um, you know, uh, close to my deathbed, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> And uh, I, st- I still like them. Uh, let's go because at some the next time you do the show, there's a good chance we're going to be talking about fire sign anyway. So we will because the thing is, I could talk about this all day, but let's go back to Yuri for at least a moment. Yes, please. He deserves it because this thing is that this is an unsung hero of radio. I, here. And it's it's such a. The, I wish we could describe. Do you want to describe the cover for people because you did send it to me for a reason? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um. You know. Maybe you'll put this on. on yes. The, liner in a little site or whatever but so this is a, and i love this as inglorious mono <laughs> um uh okay so we have a this appears to be a an ink i guess sketch of a woman in a fancy uh mm-hmm. gown and pearls and uh, flowers on it um she is uh, quite a grotesque uh looking sort of caricature of a very large woman dressed uh, for a night out she has wearing huge headphones uh hooked up to a portable record player and all over her dress are these little egyptian guys that say tut and someone blowing on a some sort of horn that say toot and this appears to be uh lady was it lady featherbottom is that her name the narrator of great moments oh yes right from the, the record um who is, uh, you know, this wonderful voice sort of person like this, <laughs> talking about the erotic uh, literature of uh, Bordello on Pooh Corner, children's <laughs> so erotic stupid. literature. Um, yeah, it's one of those things, and I love that sort of bit too, where there's lots of little jokes that are just interesting little things that go by really fast, and they're not going to pause and tell you that they did a joke. I like that a lot. I like density of, of jokes. So I like um, some other things in there. She says, I feel like I wrote them down here. Um, 
This is, uh, yeah, erotic children's fiction. Oh, I don't <laughs> remember, but there's, this is terrible for a podcast. <laughs> everyone should, everyone should stop listening right now. But, uh, I didn't write it all down, but there's wonderful, there's, there's wonderful turns of phrases, uh, in there. I'll give you some from the side too. Sure. There's some things where they do the same thing. Um, thinking about the, like I, I, I went the rectangular teen formula so I can fortify my <laughs> troops. Uh, just wonderful little things of like slipping in the, uh, the advertising into the show itself mm-hmm. or, um, you know, just too, oh, too much of everything. Just, uh, Having that be a slogan for a business, too much mm-hmm. for everything, those sort of things. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. I, 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 I'm going to re-listen to it, I think, uh, which is rare. I rarely will re-listen to just about anything because I feel like I fill too much of my days with comedy albums. But it yeah. feels like it, it it deserves at least a single re-listen. Um, there, because, again, it's pretty it's pretty dense. It's got, I love, by the way, Rectangulatine, that is a joke I would have written when I was 14, but still, like, it's yeah. still, in case people don't know, there what well, this still exists, but there's a drink called Ovaltine that used to sponsor a lot of things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, oval, rectangle, there, there's a simple joke. That's a joke I would have written when I was 14, but th- because of that, I still kind of, I still kind of dig it. Yeah, I love those kind of jokes. The thing is that it, again, is it like, ha ha hilarious as rectangulatine no no but just putting rectangulatine in there is such a weird little word to get to say it's a fun mm-hmm. thing to say and if you just breeze past it in a barrage of a hundred little tiny mm-hmm. jokes yeah. i love and it. it it took me a minute um, honestly it took a, them saying it a couple times for me to realize oh they're doing a thing here which is fun good yeah if you stop and have a if you have a setup and the punchline is rectangulatine that's the worst right. joke in the world but in a flurry of snowflakes coming mm-hmm. down. I, I love that. And that's the thing that I love about that kind of style of humor that people were doing back then. And I still like to do, and we do on our record and stuff, but it, it's people now classify it as dad jokes. And the thing is like, yeah, you're, these are the guys, that's what your dad was listening to in the seventies. Mm-hmm. He loved it. Um, and I love it. And I have this big problem now where I always considered my strong suit to be that I had good taste in things. And now, honestly, I love bad jokes as much as good jokes. And I'm not sure that I can tell the difference mm-hmm, anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just shamefully writing that kind of thing. And I don't think there's an audience that appreciates it mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but I think it's good. And I can always pass it off as it's supposed sure. to be ironic. Yeah. So that's what I'll do. Is if, if people don't like the joke, it's definitely like hokey on purpose. And if you do like the joke, then it, yeah, that was made for you in complete uh, sincerity. <laughs> you know what? You've, you've come up with these wonderful internal justifications I've never been able to do for myself. I'm going to steal these all from you because uh, oh, yeah, I deal with this stuff all should. the time. You know, I wrote a whole book that is that. Like I said, I wrote a whole book that is like either references to outdated technology because I find that funny or shitty, shitty puns that are veiled in, hey, somebody else in the universe of the book made the pun. It wasn't me, you know. Right. Oh, that's a good way mm-hmm. to do it, too, is to give yourself a character that that says yeah. those things. Yeah, we like to and in our record, we have this like uh, Ed Wynn voice <laughs> mm-hmm. we'll use mm-hmm. for thing. Uh, just talking like this all day, and we and we both do it because we both like to do it, and we both think we're better than <laughs> the guy at doing the voice. So, uh, but yeah, that's a good way to do it too. I think you can do any kind of 
cheesy, bad humor. You just have to like wear cool jeans, and people will assume that you're being ironic. <laughs> Boy, I got it. There's another thing. I mean, doing an Edwin voice, uh, I is also that's my shit. Like nobody, nobody knows. People know that that's a voice. That's a voice some people do. There are so many people have no idea who Edwin is. Actually, at some point, I should maybe send you the Edwin comedy album I have, and we'll have to listen to it. Oh, I think I it's that. from his radio show. Uh, Absolutely love Edwin. He's yeah. a delight. Mustard. <laughs> he's just yeah. Nobody. Just such a funny face. Such a funny. Great reactions. Great. I'm a huge fan of um, just very broad uh, comedy mm-hmm. reactions to things. And I think everybody is, but everybody's too cool to admit it. So, again, everything has to be done like, oh, we're doing this knowingly. And I think they were always doing it that yeah. way. I, I don't think anyone ever was trying to pass that off as some sort of right. high art, you know, naturalism or something. Um but uh, and and I love that's one of the things I love about like old uh, Hope and Crosby comedies and stuff. They would do like hokey jokes with always this sort of like winking thing of like, oh yeah, we know this joke is hokey to us even now, but like, oh yeah, yeah. we're going for it. We love it. Uh, yeah, there there is that weird disconnect where you do think your generation is you know ten times smarter than two generations before you. So then you 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 figure you've discovered the truth of the matter, and when you are being ironic, it's the first time anybody's been ironic in this manner. Uh, right? Yeah, we all think we uh-huh. invented something. And there's something on the so side two of the Chicago language tape there, uh, in the in the uh, Noskolatsky, <laughs> right, sorry, Notchkolatsky, um section. Where toward the beginning, uh, he's talking to Jimmy, his sidekick, and he's saying, like, all the little uh, switches that need to be switched in their airplane. And he's saying, you know, actuate the positive, accentuate the negative. Like, (laughs) don't mess with Mr. In-Between, you know. And it's the cheesiest Mm -hmm. joke in the world. But, again, my hat's kind of off that they Mm -hmm. go for it. I kind of love that they just unapologetically do this dumbass uh, setup for a joke. <laughs> also, the, the setup genuinely is pretty clever. That, that that really, if you're not paying attention, really does sound like just the techno babble that usually just goes straight through you that you don't pay attention to. And for sure, for sure. Um, but they don't mess with Mr. In-Between. But when I hear a really dumb joke like that, what I, in a lot of ways, that's a lot of people that I know's favorite kind of joke, whether they admit it or not. It's one that... When they hear it, they go, "Damn mm-hmm. it!" Because mm-hmm. uh, they because they're mad at themselves yes. for laughing a yes. little bit, and they hate that they think it's kind of funny, and they like, "Fuck you for <laughs> for like even setting that up." Uh-huh. You and I think of always that um, that part in the movie Patton when there's uh, some German planes fly overhead and. He runs after them with his pistol just shooting at the planes and he's like if i could find those pilots i'd give them a medal and it's just you know it's just sort of like you magnificent bastards i hate you but by god you know you i i have to give you credit that's when i discovered i loved conan when i realized all of his jokes were making me do that and they still do uh you know oh, conan yeah. any I mean, anything absolute 100 and he knows it but there's intent behind it. He's always been like I remember reading his philosophy at one point it was like I if you come and you write on my show the the joke can never be there is no joke. There has to be a joke. He's like you can do irony as much as you want, but if your joke is there is no joke, I don't give a shit. That's not funny to me. And I respect that. And it but it which means then that leaves the door open for the dumbest shit on the planet. But if you get it and it, if it somehow resonates with you, that but that is that's always my reaction. It's like you motherfucker. 
you I, I think I usually yeah. will blurt out asshole like Jimmy Pardo style like that's one thing that I where I related to Jimmy Pardo's like I will say asshole out loud in just plain voice and that's usually the highest compliment for a joke because you, you've just been an asshole and made me maybe find that very funny yeah it's uh, it's wonderful so it, they're not afraid to be mm-hmm. silly on mm-hmm. this record I love that I'm so I live in Brooklyn and a lot of the shows I see are just people are so they want to be sure. cool so bad and that's important to them and to me like being cool is the opposite of being funny I mean there's some people who seem to have a certain kind of coolness they can pull off but it's different than than what you usually see what when I when I think of coolness, I think of somebody who isn't affected mm-hmm. uh, by things. And I like really silly, uh, dumb stuff. And if you go for the silly, dumb thing hard enough, people will eventually sometimes think that is cool. You're Steve Martin or a Conan O'Brien or something like that. People think those guys are cool. They're the dorkiest you know, guys in the world where, you know, doing this, the silliest things. And I really uh, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate that nobody on this record here is trying uh, to be cool at all, even though they are radio DJs. <laughs> that's perfect. No, that's good. I, I I agree. I agree. That's it. I've got nothing to add to that. I was trying to like build. And I've got nothing to add to that. You 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 succinctly said it. Uh, I was going to ask you, hey, why don't you know? I was going to ask you the typical question. Why would you recommend it? You just did it. So I'm not going to ask you because you just said why to listen to this album. And I, I, that's a good yeah, enough I mean, argument. I, I, yeah, and this it's a bit of obscurity that needs to be dusted off and given a listen to. There's, there's a lot of good work on here that deserves to be heard. And I hope that you're able to put a couple of little clips into the show because... Uh, if I can, I will. Just, yeah, I have not done that in a worthy. long time on the show, but if I can, I absolutely yeah. will. <laughs> All right. Something to think about. I don't think that the good people <laughs> at... Uh, at the Chicago Radio National Radio Theater of Chicago. Are I think you're pro- no, you're right. It's never been a matter of that. It's been a matter of time, 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 time. Uh, but mm. it, yes, I will. I will certainly take that under advisement because people rarely say, "Could you please put a clip in?" So I will try and actually do that here. Well, it's just hard to find it. I thought even when you find something mm. obscure, you go, "Wow, I can't believe I found this," and you look it up. The whole damn thing right. is on YouTube. Um, this one I, I thought well for sure I'm sure it is but really just the title cut is I didn't find yeah no same else. here I was I was curious to see if I could find it elsewhere but I didn't see it in there so that's 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 a good point that is it is worth putting it in for the for that sake of it I mean that's that's part of for me anyway uh, digging into old especially local comedy albums it's it's there's a little bit right. of archaeology to it. Uh, there's a little sure. bit of, am I going to enjoy this, or is this going to be the typical? Most of, most of the comedy albums I find that are local comedians are crap, which is fine. I, I like that experience sure. of finding this crap to see if there's any gems in there, or if there's something promising about what they were doing, who the hell this person was. Did they turn out that it was actually they ended up writing a ton of TV or, you know, working on something I loved just under a pseudonym? You know, this kind of stuff happens. <laughs> uh, like, that, I did this one about this this trucker comedy album, which was fine and funny, but then it turns out he wrote a bunch of Magnum PIs. It's, it's a very weird, very weird thing, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, when we made our album, we, you know, it's only released on vinyl, so we... It has very mm-hmm. few copies out there, so we've made something that is an artifact uh-huh. right from the beginning. Um, and uh, we've known from the beginning that uh, our only chance of anybody ever giving a shit about this thing is it's like, well, if we have a, uh, various people that do little guest voices for us on there, and 
you know, if one day one of those people mm-hmm. gets famous or if maybe Peyton finally goes on the murder <laughs> spree he was talking about and he becomes infamous or whatever or, you know, or something like that happens, um, then uh, someday in some used record bin somewhere, some kid might find the thing and find some name on there and go, oh, that wow, that's the guy, you know, that's the guy that they brought back the death penalty <laughs> for or whatever. And and get it, and it'll be something special that uh, she's able to find. Um, so I, I love that aspect of it, and there's so little of that left now that everything's instantly available everywhere, which, you know, again, not something people would be predicted to sure. be nostalgic for, of like, remember when you couldn't <laughs> find things? Is there, there, uh, There's something yeah. comforting, comforting in accepting your own potential obscurity, right? Because I find myself doing that on the daily. Well, I try to, yeah, wake up every day and do a little meditation where I just embrace the idea of being dead, sure. <laughs> yeah, why not, you know, why not? No, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily know that I take comfort in that. It's, um, it's a slow mm-hmm. realization, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, because everybody enter, everybody starts doing comedy with the same idea that, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're the genius. You're the one who's going to be uh, huge one day. And then eventually the people that you remember being you know fresh off the boat day one or whatever are now famous or whatever and you're going oh oh no 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 um uh, everyone else was <laughs> mm-hmm. right <laughs> all that discouragement was correct <laughs> um i should have been following that but you decide to make those things so i for me it's like what i love about this record too is that it feels very official. This doesn't feel like a vanity project. Um, you did mention that it wasn't put out by a proper right. uh, record label, uh, but I hadn't really thought about that mm-hmm. until you mentioned it. And I had to look at it, but uh, it's very official. And by having it on vinyl, it does seem like something that needs to be kept and preserved. And I think of our own record the same way of being like this isn't some little practice thing i put out this is like official i would put that i'd put our record up against anybody else's thing and say this is canon this is officially you know this is not like uh when a band puts out a little demo tape or whatever and eventually we hope nobody hears it because we want to make our real first album when we're on a proper label it's like this is it this is my this is what I do with my life. This is not me trying to get to the point where I can make something. This is this is who I am and what I do now. And this record's the same thing. This is I love the cover of it. I love the sort of stance they take with the copy on the back saying that we're not on our way to doing radio or something, but we really are invested in radio theater. And the sort of statement that it makes and that they just put the damn thing out there on their own. I love it. Yeah, no, I I respect the shit out of it, and uh, that's I don't care that it wasn't on a label. I just found I, I always find that stuff interesting. No, you, you know were calling I mean? them out for not being <laughs> on Little David or whatever <laughs> would be proper I lo- for you or Celery Sound or one of the big you know <laughs> yeah names. sure one of the big three. Uh, the big I, I I love uh huh I love so much uh, the Vanity Press. I actually you know it's funny. There's a book called Enjoy the Experience. Which was I think was it edited or co-written by Greg Turkington, uh, and it's all Vanity Presses, 
Uh, and there's a there are two in there, at least two that are comedy albums, and I've picked them up since. They're insane, but there's there is there's actually I, I should actually send them to you. They're I would love that. I'd be curious to see what you think. They're Absolutely. insane. They Please. do not. They don't. I'm just going to send them to you, and then I, I, without any caveats, I won't say anything about them yet because I'm oh, doing please, an episode yeah. about them soon, and I'd rather you hear the albums first. But I don't know. Vanity Press is one of those things that almost sounds insulting, but it's like it's it's actually it's it's something somebody poured their not their just their money, but their damn heart into. Few people did Vanity Presses because they were doing something that uh, was just a fucking lark. They weren't just jerking off. Like most of the time, yeah. these are things that are like, no, I wanted to put some time into this, and I wanted people to hear my stuff. Nobody big wants to hear it, so fuck it. I'm going to do it myself. You know, even if it matter if if it's a matter of drop lifting it at Amoeba Records, which is probably going to happen with my next record. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that you reach a point where you're going. Um, you know, I'm not gonna wait for somebody else to tell me that I can do this thing. You know, we're just gonna do it. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the purpose of you know if this thing had. I mean, yeah, like this record here, totally worthwhile artistic endeavor, totally worthwhile listen. Would it make sense uh, being distributed nationally? Like, absolutely not, because you wouldn't be able to sell it. Mm -hmm. People don't necessarily know who. Uh, Yuri, you can never say the last name. Yuri Rasovsky um, is. I mean, he eventually moved to LA. They probably know him out there eventually. But you know, he's not known nationally. The National Chicago Radio Theater not known nationally. And so it's just a numbers sales uh, standpoint that you know it's. But sometimes we see that as a, a lack of quality or something. Right. Maybe with books it is. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not. Everybody should. I think, like, I don't know. Just the the print on demand business is wonderful um, for horrible projects and wonderful for your weird little obscure thing you want to do. I think it's great. And you're somebody who, you know, you've written books, you've made movies, you put out records. You know, you've done all these things, and you're clearly not somebody who is waiting for somebody to come to you and beg you to make something. You're out there like just creating, 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 and having all this output and you know so you know better than anybody it's just so freeing to go you know i'm going to make this stuff and to have it out there in a physical um medium just it's you want after you work that hard to be able to hold on to something and go i made this yeah exactly i mean that's the big i'm 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 staring at a frame i have been this whole time just being able to reference it i've got this frame that's got my two i've been staring at a mirror this whole time oh have you me Uh, I, I'm, I'm very frustrated that you're not here in person. So uh, you need to come out to L.A. or I guess I have to come out to New York at some point. We'll it's do okay. this in person. I'm, I'm not there with you. That's a problem that most people in the world have, you know, mm-hmm. but I, mm-hmm. I can only be in one place at uh, one time. But, yeah, I'd love to uh, visit out there. I understand that the the show usually pays airfare. Um, so, you know, anytime. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. free in like January or something. We could find okay, sounds good. Yeah, let me give you my credit card number. We'll, we'll go from there. We'll figure That's it out. Good. You know, just put it, just do it right now over the air. And Oh, oh, okay. Um, it's a visa. Uh, let's start there. The expiration, I'll start with the expiration date. Um, That's usually the way I do it. Yeah, you mm-hmm, want to go in reverse mm-hmm. order. It's July 2021. Uh, That's, a good, That's a good expiration. The number on the back is 803. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, oh, oh, wait, hold up. 
This actually, uh, you know what? <laughs> this is weird. This uh, the name on it is John Q. Public. It's this is one of those ones you get in the uh, the mailer. I forgot. I don't know it's what one I did of those mailers. My... Has that mailer yeah. been sitting around since like the forties? Yep, yep. It absolutely. Yeah, has. they were always yeah. putting. Uh, yeah, John Q. Public, or sometimes the the Mastercards would come. They'd just say Mac on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't uh, know why it's got the, the the CRV number or whatever it is on the back. I'm not sure why there's a number on them. It's very strange for one of those. It's like they went to all this work. To make it look real and convince you it was real, but then they put the name John Q. Public on it. I don't, I don't get it. Um, so with that stupid joke, uh, I'm just let's let's go into your. What do you have to promote? Where can people find you? Where can people find your record? We worked on that little comedy routine we just did for eight months. That's why the for episode months, took yeah. so long to. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can people find me and do stuff? I don't know. I'm on Twitter <laughs> rarely. Mm-hmm. Uh, JM Jeffries two on there because I wanted to make it easy for people to find. Of course. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right now, so I'm writing a few shows. I'm directing a couple things uh, in Brooklyn. Peyton and I are um, writing it. We finally had a breakthrough on this today, as of this morning. So uh, we're working on a show uh, to do live uh, at some fringe festivals and things, which is interesting because we don't do live. We This record wasn't something that we put together because, I mean, our record wasn't something we put together because... We had some act and people just were dying for a, a record of it. It was mm-hmm. we did it. We got together to do the record. We had worked together in various other things, but you know we'd never been like a duo. So that'll be interesting to see what that dynamic is like in real life. Um, but I've also so in the past I did another radio project which I've put out as an album and as a podcast. Uh, it's a detective serial called Troubles Up in Alphabet Town. And yes, that came out slowly uh many years ago but i actually really love most of it so i've been writing a follow-up and i remember now why i haven't done that before because it is a painful amount of work for me uh to do uh to write a mystery (laughs) so Mm -hmm. uh, i'm working on that right now as well on the writing stage so i'm on uh legal pad number four of writing that show so look for that uh eventually you long handwriting motherfucker. Holy shit. That's uh, Oh yeah, I got to do it. Too many right. distractions on a computer. Uh, and then you're just another then you're just another psycho at the Starbucks uh working on his screenplay or whatever. That's no, true. Man. That's, That's not me. True. That's just not my style. Me the alphabet down scripts traditionally are written on a notebook sitting in a McDonald's. All right. I respect no. that. I respect that. Most of my stuff's been written in a Panera for no reason. Um, because that's oh, it's me. a different vibe in the McDonald's. You meet some interesting. Uh, oh, for characters. sure, for sure. The coffee's cheaper there. Also, the here's the thing about a McDonald's. Yes, they got Wi-Fi. Yeah, you need it. You can get a cup of coffee there for a dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to kick you out. They're also, you know, you can sit there as long as you want, but also, um, you know, the uh, they're not going to kick out other people who are uh, probably going to be you know, trying to molest you at some point or do something horrible to you while you're in there. So that's, that's you know, the downside. But um, it's cheap, it's convenient, and uh, you can actually get a seat there as opposed to, like, you know, a coffee shop where people literally are just all day, like, talking about their, uh, their EDM music that they're going to be making or whatever, <laughs> and they're really just looking at, uh, they're just looking at Facebook all day. So I highly recommend, you know, finding a thing that matches your lifestyle and uh, going there. <laughs> so this record took, our record took years um, to come out because we just kept 
not finishing it was mm-hmm. this a, the standard problem that I run into is that I'm going to finish something and then what I do is I accidentally don't finish it. And so uh, we were, um, you know, we were doing sketch shows and TV things and we were doing uh, musical and stuff. And we never could finish this damn record. So by the time it came out, I was already in New York. Um, and so... Uh, Jason uh, was somebody that Peyton dealt with. Um, so he had done some posters and things for uh, local comedy shows. And that's how he got to know him. But we tried um, you know, looking at different options that we can do and stuff. Our big thing was we wanted to... I'm a huge fan of uh, just drawn uh, covers for comedy albums. What I love about it is that you can make all this weird stuff uh, kind of come to life there. Um I love the cover of the Chicago language tape and a lot of other things that have this great hand-drawn art. Um, yeah, so our, we wanted him to just incorporate as many characters from the piece as possible and to have this weird sort of um, wraparound thing because our our, um, our record was really influenced by uh, Doug Hofstetter's um, sort of writings and strange loops and stuff like that mm-hmm. so um we have this thing where it's every all these characters are in a line but the line wraps around the back of the record but the mm-hmm. back of the record is also the back of the fence they're standing in front of so it's actually a line on the opposite side of the front of the record but it's also a circle at the same time and also the circle oh, sorry it's not yeah so it's a continuation of the line it's the opposite side of the line and it's a circle at the same time mm-hmm. um and uh yeah, so we needed somebody who would listen to that weird kind of um, explanation and then be able to draw it, and he did such a uh, great job. So we're really happy with that. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. I I will I will oh, thoroughly thanks. recommend the album. Obviously, I mean, otherwise, why would I have said, "Hey, why don't you hop on my weird little almost?" Oh, yeah, and we appreciate label. so much all the mentions that uh, you gave it on uh, episodes of this show. It's it's really great. Yeah. I, I, I continue to do so because I want people to listen to it. And I, I will tell you, I have never uh, recorded it digitally because I'm not going to listen to it that way. Uh, and also there's one, there's a real solid reason not to. There's a physical reason not to put it because it doesn't work digitally. That it would not work if you ripped it. It doesn't work. I, I don't want to give it away, but this, there's, a, there's a physical reason to not put this on a digital thing that doesn't play. It wouldn't play. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. It's good. It's worth listening to. A gift you didn't ask for from friends you never had. You can get it at CelerySoundRecords.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, please do. Absolutely. Uh, Jared, thank you so much for doing the show, number one. Oh, thank you so much for, uh, finally having me on. Of course. You're, you will come so back. This will, this will happen. Um, we'll, we'll, Oh, yeah, we'll, I'd love that. There's plenty more to talk about. Um, yeah, I've got a bunch of these records, so. Yeah, and if you've got more obscure shit, then I'm happy to listen to whatever you've got because uh, I, I enjoyed this experience. It was fun. Um, well, thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. 
It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Broadcasting Cartel proudly presents Great Moments in Literature! A regular series devoted to the finest two minutes of Western civilization. I am your hostess for Great Moments in Literature, the beauteous but somewhat shaded Dame Margaret Waterford Closet. And once again, we are fortunate in having with us the Royal Dramatic Society of St. Peter Around the Bush to present probably one of the most famous scenes in Orwell drama, the shooting of the apple from Friedrich Schiller's classic Wilhelm Tell in a specile existential interpretation. As every literate individual is aware, the shooting of the apple scene from Friedrich Schiller's Wilhelm, translated into English that becomes Robespierre, Tell, marks the high water point of suspense in the body of works known as the Storm und Drang Schule, that is in English, the Storm and Drang School. 